So we are in a marriage series and we are called Married Life and we're looking at the Proverbs and we've looked at several uh, concepts here in the Proverbs about relationships and marriage. We looked at friendship at the very beginning. We looked at parenting last week and today we're gonna look uh, specifically, we're gonna zero in on marriage and today what I wanna do is talk about what I think is the most important skill to have in marriage. In fact, I think it's one of the most important skills to have in any relationship. I think if, if, you, if you ask me, like, what is the most important skill that I need to learn in order to have a great relationship, this is it. I think that in order to have a great relationship, you need to learn how to forgive. Forgiveness is the most important skill for a good marriage. I was taught this by my pre-marriage counselor. Uh, before I got married, me and Anita went to uh, visit, visit a pre-marriage uh, counseling therapist, and he talked to us about marriage, uh, prepared us for our relationship, and so on. And when we came into that counselor, the first question that he asked us was, have you ever been in a fight? Now, how do you answer that question if you're sitting with a brand new marriage counselor? I mean, you could lie and say, no, 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 we don't fight at all. We're the perfect couple. Uh, you really want to give us a, an A on our marriage exam. I mean, do you lie? No, you can't do that. You got to tell them the truth. And so I just, you know, after debating a little bit, I said, yes, we have been in a fight. You know, we had been in plenty of fights by that time. In fact, we just had a fight that morning about marriage counseling. And so, yes, we've been in a fight. And the, the counselor responded, good. He said, I'm glad you've been in a fight. He says, if you had never been in a fight, the first assignment would have been to go home and get in the fight. Because he said, if before you've fought, before you've wounded one another, before there's been a conflict, you really don't know how to forgive. And he says, forgiveness is the most important skill you will ever, ever learn in a marriage. Now, one of my favorite uh, peri- uh, uh, mar- marriage counselors is uh, Paul Tripp, and he agrees with, with my counselor. This is what he says. Uh, it should come up on the screen. He says, I can't think of a more essential ingredient in a marriage than forgiveness, but forgiveness is not always attractive. Forgiveness is difficult and costly. It will push you to the borders of your faith. It will tempt you to fear and doubt. But f- when forgiveness is granted and debts are canceled, the return is much greater than the cost. And so Paul Tripp agrees with my marriage counselor and he says, forgiveness is the most essential skill that you will ever learn for a good marriage. You need to learn how to do this. Now why is this the case? It's because of something that the Bible teaches all over the place. It's because that all of us bring both our beauty and our brokenness into our relationships. Right, when you get married, you are marrying a full-fledged sinner. Okay, and so you get all of their benefits, you get all of their beauty, you get all of their gifts, but you also get all of their woundedness and all of their brokenness and all of their sins. And what that means is that they're going to hurt you. It's inevitable. There are no perfect people. Uh, One of my favorite movies is As Good As It Gets. Anybody seen that one? In that uh, movie, uh, Helen Hunt, she's racked with ambivalence over her boyfriend, who's played by Jack Jack Nicholas or Jack Nicholson. And uh, she's, she's so frustrated because on the one hand, he is kind, he's extremely generous with her son, who's very ill. But on the other hand, he's agoraphobic, he's excessive compulsive, and he's terminally offensive, right? And so he's always saying the wrong thing, he's always saying cruel things. And at one point, she calls her mom and she says, Mom, I just want a normal boyfriend. And her mom responds, Oh, everybody wants one of those, dear. There's no such thing. And it's true, there is no such thing as a perfect person. We all bring our brokenness, we all bring our beauty into the marriage. And what that means is is that if we're ever going to have healthy relationships, if our marriages are ever going to last, 
we need to learn how to forgive. You need to learn to sk- the skill of forgiveness. You need to learn the skill of relationship repair because your relationship will be broken. But how do we do that? Someone might ask, well, how I struggle with forgiveness. I've been trying to forgive for a long time. I, you know, this is the one thing, I just can't seem to let things go. And what does it even look like to forgive? How do I know that I've truly forgiven? Well, today we're gonna look at a little verse in the Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 17, 9, where uh, the author here, he describes what it looks like to forgive. Now, the Proverbs, I, I love them because they never, the author never comes out and just says, forgive people. He's gonna say that, but he's gonna say it in a pithy little statement. He's gonna say it in an imaginative, imaginative little statement. He's gonna say it in a way that you could remember it. He's gonna say forgive in a way that it lodges in your brain. And that's exactly what 17.9 uh, does. It's a little pithy statement about forgiveness that will lodge it in our brains. I mean, this, this little statement, it weighs a ton. This little, little statement is chock full of wisdom about what it means to forgive. And I'm gonna read it to you now. This is uh, Proverbs 17.9 where it says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So this is a a little pithy picture about what it looks like to forgive. He says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And what I want to do is break this into three different parts today. Okay, so number one, we're going to look at the second part of the verse. What does it mean to repeat an offense or to repeat a matter? Because this is going to separate the friendship or the marriage. He says, and then we'll ask, what does it mean to cover an offense? And then finally, we'll ask the question, well, how do we cover the offense then? So three, three things. What does it mean to repeat an offense? What does it mean to cover an offense? And what is, what, and how do I cover the offense? Did you all get that? Okay, so, so let's look at the second half here. What does it mean to repeat a matter or to repeat the offense? Because he says here, whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. Well, it, when, he, when he talks about repeating the offense, he's not talking about a person who does the same stupid thing again and again. We've all met repeat offenders, right? Those people that, that wound us and they hurt us, and they seem to do it again and again and again and again. Maybe you're married to one of those people. Don't raise your hand if you're one of those people. Uh, th- he's not here talking to the offender. He's not talking to the one who is wounding somebody else here. He's talking to the person who's on the receiving end of the offense, He's talking to the person who's been wounded. He's talking to the person who's been offended by somebody else. What do you do then? What do you do when somebody wounds you? What do you do when somebody hurts you? What do you do when somebody sins against you? Well, here's what the proverb says. He says, here's our tendency. He said, our tendency is to take that offense and repeat the matter over and over and over again. In fact, this is a little picture of what it looks like to hold, to hold a grudge. If you want to know what it means to be resentful, if you want to know what it looks, to, look, look, looks like to hold a grudge, if you want to know what it looks like to, uh, to be unforgiving, this is what it looks like. It means to repeat an offense over and over and over again. And I think all of us know what it's like to do this. And what are the ways that we repeat the, the offense? Well, we can repeat it to ourselves, can't we? Right, somebody wrongs us, somebody hurts us, and what do we do? We put that mentally in our brains. The the offense lodges in our brains, and we repeat it over and over again. Maybe you're laying in bed at night, and you're thinking about how this person has wounded you, and you replay that tape again and again and again. As I was studying this week, I, I kept on thinking about that joke about Pete and repeat. Remember that joke? You know, Pete and repeat are in a boat. Pete falls out. Who's left? 
Pete and repeat are in a boat. Pete fell out. Who is left? Repeat. And so you do that over and over again. And this is the cycle that goes in on our, in our brains. That, re- that offense is on repeat. And it goes, on, it goes over and over and over again. Why do we do this? Well, by continually replaying the tapes of the wrong in our imagination, we do this in order to keep the sense of loss and hurt fresh so that we can stay angry. Right? We don't want to let it go. We don't want to let that person off the hook. And so we're going to replay that wrong over and over again because somehow it makes us feel better. You can repeat it to yourself. You could also repeat it to other people. Somebody wrongs you, maybe your spouse, your husband, or your wife. They do something that has offended you. And what do you do? You will call mom on the phone or you'll call dad on the phone. You will never believe what they did to me. They did this to me. And you'll repeat that offense to mom, mom or dad. Or maybe you'll call your friend up on the phone and you'll repeat the offense to that other person over there. And why are you, do, you, do, you're, why are you doing this? You are, you're trying to diminish that person who has offended you in the eyes of the listener. Right? Under the guise of getting it off your chest, under the guise of relieving the tension, you're sharing it to other people. I don't know if you've ever known people like this, but I have met people where it's like every conversation seems to veer back to the wound that was incurred in their life. They all goes back to this one person, and they seem to talk about this wound and this offense over and over again. It's on repeat, and maybe this is what you're doing. You find yourself having a conversation with your spouse or somebody else, and you're talking, this is what they did, and you're bringing it up, and you're replaying it again. You're talking about it to other people. This is a sign that you're resentful that you haven't let it go. You could also repeat the offense to the offender. And all of us know what it's like to do that. You're, you're in an argument with your spouse and things are getting heated and what happens? They pull out the offense from a year ago and says, well, don't you remember last year you did this? And you're thinking in your brain, well, wait a minute, I thought that was over with. I thought that was done. I thought we'd moved on. No, 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 it's, it's been there. And you know that it's still there because it comes out when you're angry. And you could repeat that offense to the person who's offended you. This is what it looks like to be resentful. This is how you know that you haven't covered the offense. You're repeating it. It's going on, repeat and repeat, over and over again. You're replaying the tapes. And you're in this cycle. Now, why do we do this? Why, why would somebody repeat a matter? It's because when you repeat a matter, what you're trying to do is you're trying to pay that person back. It makes you feel good to repeat it because it feels like you're repaying them back for what they've done to you. Anytime you've wronged somebody, anytime you've offended a person, you have incurred a debt. And the Bible always talks about sin in terms of debt. And so in the Lord's Prayer, you know, forgive us our what? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have incurred debts towards us. The Bible always talks about offenses in terms of debts. And when somebody wrongs you, there's a very real sense that that person now owes you. Maybe they stole from you happiness. They were meant to make me happy, you know. I got married and they stole my happiness. Or maybe they stole your peace of mind. They're always arguing with you and so you feel like they stole your peace of mind. Or maybe they've taken from you a a good relationship with your kids. And so there's this sense that that person owes you. And you're repeating the matter because you're trying to exact payment from them. You're trying to get them back. And somehow it makes you feel good to bring that thing up again so that you stay angry. 
But here's what the proverb says. It says that when you repeat a matter, maybe because you're trying to get that person back, he says, here's the problem. Whenever that thing is on repeat, as long as the, refe- the offense stays there in the relationship, that relationship is doomed. Whoever repeats a matter, what, what happens? They separate the friendship. So as long as you are not forgiving, as long as you hold on to that thing, as long as it stays cycling there in the marriage, that marriage is on the path to separation. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but, but when you do repeat over and over again a person's offense, you begin to see that person completely in light of the offense. You know, all, you, you guys have all seen uh, these cartoonists that draw characters, of pu- they draw pictures of public figures, and you could always tell when the cartoonist doesn't like the public figure. Because if the, if the public figure has a, maybe a slightly big nose, the nose is enormous, right, in, the, in this caricature. Or if they have slightly big ears, the, 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 the ears are enormous. And what do they do when they don't like them? They turn you, they turn the person into their most unattractive feature. And when you repeat the matter, when you see the person, that's, you see them only in light of their offense. They become their offense. And so if they've lied to you, they become a liar. Oh, you lie, but you're complicated, right? There's always reasons why you lie, but they're a liar. Or they're just angry. When you repeat the matter, you begin to caricaturize a person and you see them only in light of their offense. And it's hard to be in a relationship with someone that you feel that way about. When you repeat a matter, also the debts begin to rack up. And before long, there's a mountain of debt between you. And when there's that mountain of debt in between, you begin to slowly drift apart. There's a, a Paul Tripp, the guy I mentioned at the beginning, he tells a story about how he was, he was in marriage counseling with a couple that had this big mountain of debt. And he was sitting there, and he's, and he's in this, uh, the marriage counseling room, and he's going to counsel them. And he describes the scene like this. Maybe, hopefully this won't sound familiar, <laughs> but try it on for size. He says, the tension in the room was unbelievable. It was impossible for Chad and Mary to speak to and about one another without anger. Sitting across the couch from, uh, from Chad, Mary never did stop crying. She was hurt. She carried in the file cabinet of her mind a detailed record of wrongs that only deepened her pain. Neither wanted to be married anymore. They both dreaded getting up in the morning and facing one another. They both pointed their fingers and maintained their self-serving list of offenses. There was a time when they had adored one another, but that time was like ancient history. There was no peace now, let alone affection. So he's describing a picture of a couple that is slowly drifting apart because of the mountain of debt that's racking up. It's because they're repeating the offenses. and They're not letting it go. Let's look at the first part of the statement then. Well, how do we let it go? How do we forgive? We don't want this, this, bring, this is going to tear up our marriage. And so how, how do we forgive? How do we let that thing go? Well, notice what, what the proverb says. It says, whoever covers an offense seeks love. He says, you don't want to repeat the matter, but the one who covers an offense, that's the one that seeks healing and love. And so what then does it mean to cover an offense? And this is really hard because every phrase, every word in, English, in the English language has a semantic range. And when, whenever we, we hear the word cover over, what do we think of? We think of taking the offense and brushing it under the rug. Right? Um, you think of cover up. You think about ignoring what's, what's happened. 
You're pushing it under the rug. You're just going to pretend like it never happened. This is not what the proverb is talking about. This is not the way that you forgive. Some of you might be doing this. You don't just pretend like it never happened. In fact, later on in the book of Proverbs, down at the end of this chapter, he says, better is open rebuke than hidden love, and the wounds of a friend can be trusted. So when somebody wrongs you, you don't cover it up, according to the Proverbs. You faithful are the wounds of a friend. You tell them about their offense. The most unloving thing you can do is hide the offense from a person. So this is not what the Proverbs is talking about. It's not saying that you brush uh, an offense under the rug or you pretend like it never happened. So then what does it mean to cover the offense? What does it mean to cover it over? It's much more like this. Pretend that you're at a restaurant and you're with a group of friends and everybody's incurred, everybody's bought their food and and eaten their food and there's this big check, there's a debt. And you stand up at the table and you pull out your wallet and you say, don't worry, I'll cover it. That's what it means to forgive. It means to cancel a debt. It doesn't mean that you pretend it's not there. It means that you're going to pay for it yourself. Now, what does this look like? This always begins, like I said, with acknowledging the offense. Forgiveness always begins with acknowledging that, if, that an offense has, has happened. So Lewis Smedes put puts it this way. He says, when we forgive evil, we do not excuse it, we do not tolerate it, we do not smother it, we look evil full in the face, we call it what it is, let its horror shock and stun and enrage us, only then do we forgive it. So forgiveness always begins with acknowledging the offense. You name it. Maybe you write it down. Maybe you talk to the person about it. But you bring the offense out into the open. And then you've got a decision to make. What do you do then? The next step of forgiveness then is canceling the debt. You're going to cancel the debt. Right? Whenever somebody sins against you, a debt has incurred. And forgiveness is saying, you don't owe me anymore. My old pastor used to say that when God forgives your sins, he throws it into the deepest sea and he puts up a no fishing sign. And when you make the decision to forgive, you say, look, you don't owe me anymore. I am burying that thing. It's gone. It's forgiven. It's forgotten. And I'm not going to take it out of my pocket ever again. Right? You throw it into the deepest sea and you put up a no fishing sign. You cancel the debt. You say, you don't owe me anymore. But somebody says, well, they do owe me. They owe me happiness. They owe me, uh, you know, peace of mind. They do owe me. Well, listen, this is why forgiveness is always a free gift of grace. Nobody earns forgiveness. Nobody works their way into forgiveness. Forgiveness is always a free gift of absolute grace. You say, you, you do owe me, but, but I'm going to decide you don't owe me anymore. I'm going to cancel the debt. Here's the most important part, though. When you forgive somebody, not only do you cancel the debt, but you absorb the debt yourself. Somebody's got to pay. When, when, you, when somebody has been offended, somebody has to pay. And when you decide to forgive, you, you pay it yourself. You absorb the debt. And this is why forgiveness is always a form of voluntary suffering. Picture it this way. Picture you're driving down Main Street. Picture I'm driving down Main Street. And somebody out there, who can I pick on today? Daryl is driving down the side road. Sorry, Daryl. And he smashes into my beautiful maroon and rust-colored 1995 
Toyota Camry. When he smashes into me, I've got a decision to make. I either, I either exact the payment from him and say, Daryl, you pay me for that, or I decide to let him off the hook. But if I decide to let him off the hook, somebody, the dent is still there, isn't it? And I either pay for it myself by taking it to the shop, or I pay for it by driving around with a dent in my car. What a shame for my rust-colored uh, Toyota Camry. Somebody's got to pay. And when you forgive, you absorb that in yourself. It's a f- forgiveness is always a form of voluntary suffering. It is always emotionally expensive. You always absorb that debt yourself. Forgiveness is always a free decision. It's something that you need to decide to do yourself. You may not always for- feel like forgiving. It's, it's a decision. It's a generous decision to cancel a genuine debt. Now let me say one more thing before I move on. Forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Somebody this morning came to me and said, Brent, I'm trying to forgive somebody, but he says, is that the same thing as reconciliation? No, forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. It takes one person to forgive. It takes two people to reconcile. And you can, you can decide to forgive, but reconciliation takes trust to be built up again, and the other person has to acknowledge their offense. But listen, forgiveness opens up the door to reconciliation. If you do not forgive, you will not move forward in that relationship. It's the first step to reconciliation. Let me look at the final thing, which is how do we forgive then? So, the proverb says, like, this is the only way forward. Like, you, you, let, you either let that thing circle in your relationship, you, you repeat and repeat and repeat the offense, or you cover it. And covering it is the only way forward. There's no future without forgiveness. There is no future without the canceling of debt. So how do we cancel the debt? How do we do this? Well, if you notice here, the Proverbs doesn't tell you how. That's the problem with the Proverbs. This is why they frustrate me so much. It's like pithy little statement, you know, don't repeat the matter, cover the offense, fine, close the book. And it's like, well, wait, how do I do that? Proverbs never tells you how to do that. But the Proverbs is in the larger story of the Bible, which does tell you how. Because in the story of the Bible, God has shown us how to forgive by forgiving us himself. Think about it. How did God forgive you? You know, you have offended God. You have sinned against God. How did God forgive you? Well, God sent his son into the world to die on a cross. And somebody says, well, why did God have to die to forgive me? Like, why couldn't God just stay up there and just say, you're forgiven. Why did God have to die? It's because why? It's because sin always incurs a debt. And on the cross, Jesus Christ is absorbing that debt in himself. Forgiveness is always a form of voluntary suffering. And on that cross, God himself was suffering for your offense, absorbing that in himself so that he could offer you forgiveness. And so the more you understand the cross, the deeper you go into what God has done for you in forgiving you, the more you'll be able to forgive other people. Let me give you three things you need. And more three things? Yes, three. These are going to be quick. Three things you, the cross help, does to help you forgive. The cross gives you humility. You need humility in order to forgive. And before the cross, you realize, I'm an offender. I am broken. I'm a sinner. I'm no better. You can't forgive somebody unless you know that you're, that you're not any better. 
that you could have done the same thing. And the cross helps you understand that, yes, I am a sinner. I am broken. I could have done the same thing. So the cross gives you the humility to forgive. The cross also gives you the confidence to forgive. And did you know that you need confidence in order to forgive? You need to have that security. You need to have that, that inner sense that God loves you and that his sin has covered you in order to offer forgiveness to somebody else. If you know God's love and forgiveness, there is a limit to how deeply another person can hurt you. And the cross fills you up. And the cross gives you security so that you can say, yes, I'm okay. I can offer that forgiveness to somebody else. Finally, the cross gives you power to forgive. To err is human. To forgive is what? You can answer me. To forgive is divine. It takes divine power to forgive. Nobody can, can forgive offense, especially a really, really deep offense on their own. You need the power of the risen Jesus living inside of you in order to truly offer that genuine forgiveness. And let me just end with a story here. There's a story of Corrie ten Boom, and some of you may have heard of her. She suffered at the hands of the Nazis in, concentration, in a concentration camp. And um, she, she left the camp, she was freed, and she went around the world speaking about forgiveness. And one, one day she was speaking, and after her talk, down her way, down the aisle, came the German prison guard who had tortured her and killed her sister. He came right up to her, he put out his hand and said, will you please forgive me? And this is what she writes. She said, I stood there with coldness clutching my chest, but I know that the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I pray Jesus help me. Very mechanically, I thrust out my hand into the one stretched out in front of me, and I experienced an incredible thing. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into the, our clutched hands. Then this warm reconciliation seemed to flood into my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I, f I forgive you, brother, I cried with my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, the former prisoner. I have never known the love of God so intensely as I did in that moment. And then she says this. She says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner is you. And so she said, listen, the only way I did this was by God's divine power, the resurrected Jesus. But here's what happened. When I offered that forgiveness, a prisoner was set free. And it was me. So here's, here's the point. If you inject the acid of resentment into your marriage, you put yourself and your partner into a prison of your own making. So stop the vicious cycle. Stop repeating the matter. There's no future without forgiveness. There's no future without the canceling of debts. There's no freedom and there's no hope unless we decide to absorb the debt. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this this teaching in the Proverbs about what it looks like to forgive, and I know there's probably many people in this room that, are, that just suffer from this, this uh, 
this resentment, this holding of a grudge. Father, I pray that they would see how dangerous this is. And and God, we pray that you'd enable all of us, God, to make that decision to say it's covered. I am deciding right now to say you don't owe me anymore. And God, I know that there might be some conversations that might need to happen, uh, some confrontation of of the offense, Lord, but we pray that we would pre-decide. And God, that you would give us the the power, Lord, to let that thing go. And so that we can so that we can be set free. We pray this in Jesus' name.